The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. We'll have a longer sit in a little while, as we usually do. So, it seems, has everybody been here before? Is this, okay, so I uh, need to explain what we're doing then. Um, we have just a couple minutes. I thought, we haven't done this before, but I'd be interested if anybody has any questions about the readings or comments. I'm curious how it's going with the readings. Are they... Too much? Too little? Are they getting read? Are they... Carol? So I'm really enjoying the readings, and I love how you send them out periodically instead of one massive, so I can pace myself, Uh and I especially enjoying the reflections that you put at the end of a selection and the poem was lovely this last time so I just I'm getting so much out of it thank you you. anything particularly land for anyone this time Um, I'm going to say it's too little Uh okay yeah uh, good. I'll probably regret saying that, but um, <laughs> yeah, we've got more. We yeah. we debate each month whether it's too much or too little or what. So you know, we could we Actually, could. I agree with you. Okay. 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 I mean, you can always you know skim along. You want some more? Okay, great. More. There's also the books. You know, has anybody taken a look at any of those books that we mentioned? Okay. Yeah, that Suchito book is a great favorite of ours, but you know, some people find it hard going, but it's very rich and and Sylvia's delightful. Yeah. Is that the one that's online? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the Suchito book called Parami The Way to the Cross the Floods or something like that is online. It, on that info sheet that I sent out yeah, in the beginning, it's on there. Yeah. Yeah. You can just search for it, and you'll find it also. Yeah, It's really great. It's a wonderful it's book. It's very good. And yes. if you prefer a book, you can get a book, too. But yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got more, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work on a little more. Has, has anyone um, peeked at Sylvia's book? Okay, because that one is really good also. More accessible than the Sichita book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, we thought we'd start with the little triads like we've been doing. So if you want to get in groups of three, I think we've, when Gail gets here, we've almost got groups of three here. Might need one group of two.
I don't know if we need, uh, what have we got? We have a group of two left. Probably someone else was, will show up, so why don't we, what have we got? Two, three, one, two, three. Okay. Oh, all right. Can you be a group of two and maybe somebody will come and join you in the middle? Okay, so the question for this morning is thinking back on some kind of old attachments. It could be things you used to want and love or things you used to be afraid of or things you used to just be all worried about or something. Some kind of old attachments that you have let go of or they have let go of you or you've outgrown or however it seems to have changed so that you feel pretty free of those in relation to that, whatever it is right now. So you can think about that, and then looking back on that, what does this teach you about at least one way that letting go can happen for you? Okay? So we'll just take five minutes apiece. We'll give you a minute to think about it, and then we'll just take, uh, we'll ring the bell every maybe four minutes by now and uh, four minutes apiece to reflect on that. Yeah, just thinking of something that you used to be attached to, have a sort of entangled, suffering-attached relationship to, either because you, you know, or it could, could be something you used to love that you lost interest in, but, you know, something that was that you were attached to that has, in the nature of things, let go <laughs> somehow. And just reflecting on how that happens, what that feels like, what it was like to care so much and now you don't, something like that. Could be lots of flavors of this. Just just to kind of bring an example to mind of yourself about how letting go happens, has happened for you. Yeah, four, four minutes or so. There's a group of two over here. I'll just repeat the question one more time since somebody's just joined us. Hi. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll, you know, we'll just work with it. So something that you used to be attached to that has let go of you or you've let go of it and what you've learned about how that process works. Yeah, go ahead and start. And we may, people may trickle in and join and we'll wind up with larger groups.
So would anybody, we have time for a couple of comments, so how that, anything came up there that you'd like to share? Yes. Let's. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to say I really do like the small groups and the, the, what everybody said to me was really like, me too. <laughs> and um, also, um, just that everybody, when, you know, the release of letting go of something is so profound for each of us. Yeah. But it's a battle to get there. Yeah, we claw our way to nothingness. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's maybe the claws are just hanging on, and you're kind of slowly letting go of your way to nothingness. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for that exercise. <laughs> yeah, behind you. I just wanted to um, say that uh, this week when I was at the um, happy hour, uh-huh. we we talked a little bit about. Um, letting go of the narrative but holding on to the emotion of the situation that mm. you didn't necessarily have to let go of all your feelings about it right. but that it might be a good way to go to let go of the narrative and I know that wasn't exactly what the intention was in your mentioning letting go but it seemed appropriate for me that in some situations I, I can still feel however I feel. I just don't need to keep telling the story. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, letting go is not something we can just make happen. It's kind of misunderstood, you know. You just keep looking at it and, you know, something something gets tired of it. <laughs> but not on our schedule, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I like that. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. I can't. I have this feeling that I'm wired in, but I'm not really. <clears throat> so I used to think when I woke up in the morning, letting go was like stepping off the cliff and not knowing what was going to happen, you know, and 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 that that was a scary thing. And now something has happened with meditation where I see it more as. Uh, being comfortable with not knowing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like the, there's infinite possibility. Yeah. And and I was talking this morning with my meditation group. That's why we were we were rushing to get here. Um, that sangha takes an important part in holding the safe space for transformation from grief or sadness or whatever. And uh, that I'm, I'm really seeing how the things work together, but my connection allows me to not, I don't know, I just, my heart and my brain just don't feel like I'm taking my life that personally anymore, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's part of everything, mm-hmm. everything else. Let's let's have a little sit together.
We just won't be on schedule. We'll see how that works. <laughs> good, we had it. We're good. We're out. It's fine. We're good. The schedule's wrong. Okay. Okay, so I just want to explore a little bit in the body what is what is the grasping and clinging and resistance feeling and what is the what is the intention to just be with it, you know, just let it let it relax, let it be seen, let it maybe something about it will bubble up that was an understanding that's helpful, maybe maybe later, maybe not. So we're not, we're going to, one of the things we're going to work with letting go of is fixing and judging whatever we feel that is still holding on. And just making a spacious, warm, inviting place for that clinging and holding to just relax and just be as it needs to be, as long as it needs to be. So we're setting this intention of just sensing and listening practicing our patience parami with this. Okay. So we'll begin with just scanning through some of the places where we can sense our habits of tension, holding, grasping. Let's just begin with our hands. So your hands are resting somewhere now. We use our hands for a lot of harmless kinds of holding and grasping. And maybe there's some tension in your hands that you can just just sense what it's like to have the intention to really relax and let go of your hands. coming down your legs. See if you're clenching any around your pelvic floor, your bottom, where you're sitting. Just intending to really trust in the support of your chair. Trust in your posture. What would it be like to really feel grounded and secure in that base of your torso? The whole rest of your torso just rests lightly on that secure base. Not a gripping kind of security, but just a stability. Coming up a little to somewhere in your lower belly, middle belly, right in the center of your body. There's a spot in there that's kind of the center of gravity of our 
whole body. Just feeling at home there. Not needing to push up into the head and the chest and hold up there, but just resting down here. Just opening a bit to the heart center, to the center of your chest, emotional center. Just letting whatever's there be felt and known, open to. Sometimes we can sense there's a kind of, some kind of chronic holding there that's old and not at all easy to let go of. Can it just be okay? Maybe it can stay open to the support coming from below. Relax and open downward into that support, trusting of that stability below. Sensing around the throat area. Where does your voice come from? Where do we speak from? We've had our voices cut off in many ways, repressed. Because a lot of a lot of holding in the throat and voice area. We're not going to resolve all this today. You can just be interested in coming back to some of these things that you might sense a little bit today. What would it be like to really be able to speak from the heart, speak from the gut? Having yourself, having all that open and integrated and really knowing what, what truth you would like to speak. Maybe learning to sense what happens when that doesn't feel safe. 
what constricts. Where it would feel good to be more open and have the support and flow, it would allow that to relax. And coming up to the face, a lot of the energy of what it takes to present ourselves to the world somehow held in the face. be like to just take the time to hang out with that gently, allowing it to just be the way it is, to be felt and understood, known. We've been doing what we thought we needed to do for many decades. All these patterns are, have their origins in very understandable conditions. We may not know what they are, but we can trust that it had its reasons. Now we have awareness to bring to the circumstances that we meet today. And as you sense your whole head area, the thinking muscle, as it were, notice if you've cut yourself off from those lower levels. Are you still in touch with your, that center deep in your belly? Can you still sense the possibility of the truth of how your heart feels right now? We're not cutting any of these parts off. We're not letting go of our intelligence. We're not letting go of our ability to feel with our heart how things are impacting us. We don't need to hold our stomachs tightly so that we don't really feel that we have a flow and free flow of the digestive system and everything that's going on lower down. All these things can be there and be open and flowing back and forth. So just learning to notice when, you know, it's often that we sort of renounce our bodies in order to live in our heads and figure something out. Or we might have the mistaken idea that we're not supposed to ever think and then we shut off our minds when we try to meditate. So everything is there. Everything can be seen in the light of awareness. As we sit in this way, we might 
Discover what we can let go into. It doesn't need to be a scary blank nothing, as someone was realizing. Maybe we can let go into contentment. Let go into simplicity. Let go into the free flow of all of our systems working together. unhindered, disentangled. Let go into awareness and knowing the safety of simply knowing what's happening. Not running away, not denying, not hiding. Sometimes there might be a feeling of emerging, emerging from the grip of wanting and fearing, like the clouds clearing away, emerging into the sunlight. go into feeling peaceful and at ease. Free to be ourselves as we naturally are. Free from always having to please other people, always being so concerned with what's supposed to happen. Free to just know what is happening. free to be that loving presence that we that we all want and need <coughs> anytime these words give rise to some some opposite quality that's just interesting and then we can we don't have to figure it out we can just notice oh that's the movement of resistance and grasping and when you're catching it right there where it's happening and you can just be with that Trusting that this letting go is not something that we do. It's more about things that we don't do anymore.
just have a little less full-on intentionality behind doing it. We just buy our doing it a little less all the time. It slowly reconfigures our habits. We see that grasping is unpleasant and we see that the free flow of our faculties is pleasant. Lots of parts of ourselves are quite slow to learn this. They've had a lot of practice the other way. We just keep inclining to see it clearly and trust in that. Thank you, Chris. That was so beautiful. As Chris was talking, I was thinking about how there's a wide spectrum of ways in which we renunciate or release or let go wide 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 spectrum many ways to do it and many different types of um, varieties and I say that because I'm feeling as though I'll be taking you from this very soft spectrum of letting go and I'm bringing us to the other side of the spectrum. So I'm preparing you. (laughs) No whiplashes here. (laughs) So there's a wide spectrum. And I'm going to be talking about the joy of 
renunciation. It's also translated as release, which I love. And I especially liked Chris's word that she used, emergence. You know, we emerge. So I'll be talking about that, the joy and the no joy of release and renunciation. And by that I mean that we all know the truth of when we let go and get somewhere over to the other side or at least somewhere over to that ease and peace and, oh yeah, this is why I was able to release and let go and renounce. This is, this is the ease and the contentment. And the process has some no joy in there, right? Otherwise we would all be very easily letting go, no problem, right? So the truth is that there is some no joy involved in that. Sort of like life itself, if I woke up every morning thinking every moment of my day is going to be joy, then I would be setting myself up for a little bit of a disappointment. So in renunciation as well, um, and release, and emergence, there's, um, there is also some, some challenges. So I'm going to be talking about the deepest form of craving, attachment, grasping, right? This is the, the practice of renunciation is letting go of our attachments, our cravings, our clingings, which the Buddha so wisely said is the cause of our suffering. And I'll be talking about the deepest form, so on the other end of the spectrum, better known as addiction, the deepest form of attachments, addiction. And I th- Kamala Masters, who's a, a Buddhist teacher in our tradition, um, I was listening to a talk by her, and, and I loved the definition that she gave um, of renunciation or release because it, it helped um, you know, give that sensibility in my body of what that felt like. And she says um, that she found a definition of renunciation as going forth out from a dusty prison-like place into a wide open space where you can see things as they really are. And I loved that feeling I had in my body when I heard that. And for me, that was my experience of um, emerging from addiction, from my own addiction of that emerging from a prison-like place, the dusty and and some of these um, commentaries about how we're not seeing clearly. We have dust in our eyes and then emerging where we can see clearly after the addiction has um, been let go of. So I'll be sharing my own experience of addiction, my addiction, as well as my recovery experience. Very brief kind of thumbnail sketch. We do it typically in the format of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. But when I was thinking about what to share, I realized, even in the brief description that I'm going to give you of my story, that every single one of the paramis is involved in letting go of an addiction. And it was very exciting. I thought, oh, I could start, you know, there's 12-step groups. I could start a 
10-step process of paramis with addiction. You know, this is, it actually made me really happy to see, as we often do, um, how Buddhist teachings and any other kind of spiritual uh, program and path, how they overlap. And some of you know I um, lead the Buddhism and Recovery Group. And so we talk each month about both of these paths and a lot of the ways in which they support each other in their teachings. So what it was like for me is, um, you know, I grew up in a home where um, my mother was alcoholic. So whatever research they've done about how this gets passed down from the generations, I, I haven't done the homework on that, but um, I do know that uh, we have a lot of alcoholism in our family, so it's quite prevalent. Um, and a very chaotic home, um, volatile, and so I, th- I believe when I was growing up, um, fear became that filter. You know, we talk in Buddhism about either... Um, desire, aversion, or delusion. We all have some of them, but I, mine was the aversive type, you know, so fear was my filter. And um, in my teens and in my young adulthood, alcohol would help to calm the fears, right? Um, Initially, as addiction always, you know, sometimes we feel it works for us initially, and then there's a turning point at which point it doesn't work anymore. So fast forward into, um, I turned 30. And before I turned 30, I was ready to get myself, I'm going to stop drinking, and my birthday's in November, and so my birthday passed, and I didn't stop. And mind you, I was probably what some people would consider um, in AA rooms, you know, a light drinker compared to others didn't take me much to um, enjoy my alcohol and get loopy, but um, I hit, you know, really an emotional bottom in January when I realized, for the first time in my life, I realized, wait, I tried to stop in November and I couldn't. That's, you know, that was the first awakening of the truth. So the parami of truthfulness arose and I saw the truth. And that really scared me. Mostly, uh, well, for many reasons, but um, one reason is because I saw what an alcoholic looked like. My mother died at 43, and I thought, well, uh, I never intended to be that, and here I am. Here I am. So um, the universe was on my side. Uh, somehow, you know, in the old days, you call 411. <laughs> and I called and said, you know, what's the number for AA? I really don't even know how that occurred to me. No one in my family, by the way, was in any kind of recovery. I don't know how that occurred, but um, I believe in the power of the universe. And so on January 18th, 1994, I made my way to my first AA meeting. I cried through the whole thing. And um, someone mentioned, you know, earlier this morning about Sangha and the importance of support and fellowship. 
in that meeting afterward, as still happens today, it's just love. And by the way, I am talking about 12-step recovery, but there's all forms of recovery. There's lots of groups. You can always come up and talk to me. I have a whole sheet on various types of recovery groups. But in any case, for me, and my story is 12-step. And a sweet woman who I, you know, don't know, you know, I... 25 years ago lost track of her but she came up to me at the end of the meeting she gave me her phone number she said call me tomorrow morning don't have a drink and find a meeting to go to tomorrow that meant the world to me firstly right as oh my gosh and that was my first experience of um you know loving kindness metta generosity like what this lady doesn't even know me are you kidding me? I'm, you know, I, I felt so taken care of. And, um, and I did. I called her the next morning. And I went to a meeting. And I have not had a drink since that day, that evening. Um, we call this in the rooms being struck sober. It doesn't happen very often. Um, but it does happen. And I'm really grateful that it did. Uh, and so now I'll be going into um, the the path to recovery has a lot of challenges. So they have something called the pink cloud. So the emergence of um, clarity and the the joy of you know renouncing alcohol for the first couple months. It was on a pink cloud. Oh, this is so great. I was very naive, thankfully, of what was to come. Um, Because they say when you let go of something, anything, but particularly an addiction, you find out exactly why you used. And I did. All those repressed emotions, feelings, beliefs of my childhood, which I thought I could just put in a box and say, well, that was unpleasant. I'll just put that away and live the rest of my life and that's not going to impact me. Well, I learned um, that it did. And so the first year or so was really hard. And this is the no joy part of it. But this is also the parami of determination and resolve. Because I, I knew that I had no other choice now. And I was on a path, and I did what they first, they call 90 and 90. You do 90 days, and you do 90 meetings in 90 days. And my sponsor told me, if you drink every day, you go to a meeting every day. And I thought, what? I work full time. Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. And um, I realized very quickly why they say that, because that kept, really kept me on the path. I got a sponsor right away called her every day and started working the steps. And when you work the steps, especially the fourth step inventory, you write all about your fears, your resentments, your sex inventory, you just, you know, for the for your for your life. And um, I knew I needed to start doing that. So that was the very a part of this parmi of energy and effort and take some work. So that's what I was doing. Um, And, you know, after about two and a half or so years, um, I was doing, I was making the effort, um, but I was also experiencing some real 
depression. And I, I came to that point, I thought, oh my gosh. I had never been to a therapist. Um, and I was, I thought, I'm desperate. You know, I can't drink. Uh, but I don't feel like I'm going to make it. I'm doing everything I can in 12-step. So I started going to therapy. But the thing that really turned me around, and again, the universe was taking care of me. I walked into a an AA meeting. It was a new one. I had recently moved over into Lafayette, and they had this sweet little meeting. And... Um, I didn't know this, but they meditated for five minutes at the beginning of the meeting. They don't normally do that in AA meetings, only some. And so I showed up, and they said, oh, we're going to meditate for five minutes. I thought, oh, okay. Um, That five minutes was what we call, you know, this. I had this spiritual awakening. It was quiet. I was in a room, as we are here, as we do here. And for the first time, I felt this deep peace. I'm not saying it was like what the Buddha felt, but, you know, as the Buddha talked about being under the tree and, you know, the deep peace when he was uh, a young boy, I I just, you know, it that peace came over me. And I thought, oh, this is how I'm going to make it. This is how I'm going to make it. Because I was so, you know, we say restless, irritable, and discontent, and the depression, and I just thought, oh my goodness. So I started really pursuing meditation. And the 11th step in the 12 step program is meditation. Um, however, and, you know, it's not the fault of 12 step, they just don't exactly teach you how to do that. So I started to pursue it, and, um, Sometime later, I was living in Palo Alto, and I was going to AA meetings there, and I was telling people, oh, this meditation, you know, I kept talking about meditation to everyone. And so someone said in that meeting, you know, there's this guy named Gil down the street that I heard he does some meditation classes, and so maybe you want to stop by there. And I thought, oh, okay. I didn't know it was Buddhist, I didn't, but I knew, all I knew was meditation, right? Um, and so I think it was a Monday night in those days that I went, and, um, well, firstly, I didn't know we were going to meditate 45 minutes, which I had never done, <laughs> but I went with it, <laughs> and then uh, Gil gave a Dharma talk, which I didn't know that was going to happen either. But he was giving a Dharma talk that night on the Four Noble Truths. And he talked about the truth of suffering. And I thought, hallelujah. <laughs> I, am, I am home. I know suffering. I know suffering. And something about the truth of that. And then Panya, the, the parami of wisdom. The truth of suffering and the truth also of the end of suffering, that there is a path leading to that. So I was crying in that meeting too, and um, I left there really with a lot of hope, with a lot of hope. And I became, uh, I, I was very, very active in those days. 
Um, I was at the meditation center as many times as they had openings and we ended up having it on Thursday nights and then Sunday nights and and we grew in those days we didn't have our own building and I volunteered and I became um, essentially meditation the 12 step program and Buddhist teachings became my refuge those were my refuge and so what meditation did for me is the parami of, um, you know, metta can also be translated as gentleness. And I love that translation. So meditation brought gentleness and kindness, um, the parami of metta, into, into my life. So... In 1999... I entered another 12-step program um, for my sugar addiction. For some of you who don't know, uh, if you've ever seen, I know there's a movie with Sandra Bullock where she plays an addict and she recovers and they showed her, you know, in her rehab and she's just cramming sugar into her mouth as fast as she can get it. And that's what they do in rehab. They give you sugar because it's um, it really helps with the detox process. So people who are addicted in um, especially alcohol or drugs tend to also have a sugar addiction. I'm not speaking for anyone else except for me. I had one. It was prevalent when I was younger. My friends were like, wow, you can eat a lot of sugar. And um, so in 1999, I um, let go of that. Um, this is all, you know, I was thinking this, this all could be a talk about uh, renunciation. It could also be a talk on non-harming, right? So this is all about how not to harm the body and the spirit and the, the body and the mind. So what, what is it like now, right, years later? Um, So I went to an AA meeting yesterday in Redwood Shores at lunchtime, one of my favorite meetings. There's so much love and laughter and fellowship and joy. You know, people who first come into the meeting think, oh my gosh, they're talking. You know, how could they be talking and laughing about things that are, you know, so serious? And we do. Lots of love, lots of laughter. I still go to three meetings a week, making lots of phone calls. I sponsor people. I'm sponsored. I have a wonderful sponsor who I've had over 10 years. So, you know, one of the things, I'm also a a chaplain in a hospital. One of the first things that we do when we meet with the families, we ask who has support, you know, the patient, the family. We want to know, you know, what's the support system? Friends, family, church, community, what, what is the support system? So that's really so important when we're doing any kind of renouncing of any kind, right? Even even something little. I have friends, we have accountability buddies. We te- You know, I have a friend who texts me, I'm going to go to the pool today and swim, you know? And then she sends me a text after, right? So accountability. Um, I have, right, I have access like pretty much 24-7 to making a phone call if I have any challenge in my life. I feel so grateful for that. We have phone lists, people in Australia and all sorts of places. We can make calls at any point in time. So there's so much support. Um, I want to also read something that's really important. We talk about, um, 
you know, the Buddha talked about part of renunciation is the joy of having a greater happiness, right? So the joy of, of the greater happiness, um, which I'll end with this, because I'm running out of time here, are the promises. So in any 12-step meeting, there are promises. And they're read every meeting because there's there's this guiding light and um, inspiration of how will we how will we become happy how will we benefit how will our how will our challenges help how will we get through the challenges and emerge and what benefits will we get from those challenges so here they are the promises of the program we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness we will <coughs> we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in others. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. That one is like starred. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. And we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. I'm leaving out the last one on purpose so I didn't forget that. It's So... The joy of renunciation, of letting go, of release, of emergence. And um, just to say again, the spectrum, right? So on one end of the spectrum we have the deep um, forms of craving, which is addictions, and all the way on the other end of the spectrum of just ways that we would like to feel a little bit more light and free and then everything in between so hopefully you can find yourself you know anywhere in that spectrum so some of you may not relate to addiction in any way some of you may have family friends know people um, but no experience in yourself but as a human being um, the Buddha's teaching touches all of us about grasping and craving and the end of suffering by letting go because we all have whatever small form of that. So in terms of getting into groups, I want to be sensitive to it. It can be a big topic. Um, It can be a topic that brings up emotions, experiences of our own or in our family. So the, the question that I'm going to um, have you all talk about is very open-ended. And the question is, what comes up for you in hearing about this topic of addiction and recovery and renunciation and release 
um, anything at all, any feelings, any thoughts, any stories that you wish to share, just whatever comes up, very open-ended and generous and don't have to share anything you don't want to, just very gentle, gentle, gentle. And um, I thought we would do groups of four. So why don't you get into groups of four and then I'll talk about the timing. back there and we can have we can take one more person here there we go and if if need be there can be yeah I think there's someone else back here someone just went to the bathroom so a group of three is fine too okay great so the three of you and then Laura can join you yeah oh perfect okay great and you guys can what we'll do is we have 10 minutes so why don't you just be mindful about how much each person shares and you can just go around as we have done in some of the other groups say a couple things and have it go around and I'll ring the bell when we're finished yeah you guys encouraged me. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. 
to my sword and not kind of real strength, not faith strength, not real motivation, but faith motivation. Yeah. Like the relaxing is like getting down to where, no, I really want this. It's not about I should. Seriously, my body doesn't do well with it. So, like, it's it was a serious problem, you guys. It's not like, like, it's not good. So, <laughs> so yeah. And my sister's so cute because she has the same DNA as me. So, you know, she like little. I mean, we can eat huge amounts of sugar, and then she'll just. I'm not <laughs> then come over and you know there's this huge carrot cake. Oh well. Except for this. Well, that's where the toughness comes in. She's so fun. There's a place for fear. There's a place for all these. Exactly. There's a place for it all. Exactly. And if you don't have a problem with it, I mean, my boyfriend can keep a chocolate bar in the cupboard for like a week. I'm thinking. Yeah, like, yeah, right. are you kidding me? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> right. like, that's just not possible. <laughs> so he doesn't have a problem. I do. Clearly, <laughs> the place to stop this is in the grocery store parking lot. If it's in my house, it's going. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, it's not it's, it's, yeah. There's so much fun in that. Exactly. Good sponsors of each other. <laughs> 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 
You know this book, um, what's it called, The Grace and Aging, Kathleen Dowell, she wrote a book called The Grace of Dying, The Grace of Aging, mm. and she wrote this wonderful book on dependent origination, and then she died. But anyway, she has a book on Grace and Aging, mm. probably has chapters in it. him so helpful uh, mindfulness at work. Yeah. He was really just, he was great. He came to the Palo Alto song dog. I'll never forget that. He came to talk to us in Palo Alto. I think it's before he had his. Wonderful man. Do you see him at the Zen Center? Is he still at the Zen Center? His teachings are definitely Zen. Oh, yeah. Maybe another couple minutes.
All right, so they're definitely. So wrapping up the discussions and coming back in the next minute here. years of marriage counseling and then what really did it for me was finding this refuge, finding this place and opening up to myself 
and trying to understand what it was that I was doing and why I was doing it. And just being here and talking about it just lifts me up. Mm. I just want to thank you. Thank you. I think one of the things that I really appreciated with the conversation was the threads of like a multi-generational addiction and also its relationship to potential trauma and how anything can be an addiction and how we use it to escape from our feelings or emotions, whatever those heavy things are. And it was nice to see that or be in the company of others who have also seen that path and lived it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you guys. One of the things that um, came up was um, how, um, in some ways, addiction is um, is nur- nurtured in, <laughs> in a lot of things. Um, somehow, um, through the way to keep people coming back for your product. You kind of have to, um, some people or organizations have found ways to not just um, have a product, but to constantly have you needing that product more and more. And anyway, it kind of came up, and we were even talking about the cell phone and different things. And anyway, it, it was interesting because it's, it's like you have to keep your eyes open all the time. I I was uh, I'm a sober alcoholic and I've been sober a long time. So, I, in my <clears throat> in these years, I've said I'm an alcoholic and my name is Chris. I don't know how many tens of thousands of times, you know, a long time. And um, before I began meditating, I identified with that group, you know, almost entirely. And meditation really added an element of expansion to my identity where I could drop that label and see myself as part of the world again. Thanks. Uh, Let's see, my name is Laura. Um... I, I I really appreciate hearing letting go equals emergence. That word about uh, that word about emergence really uh, I I like that a lot. And um, I just want to share my my experience with that recently is um, well I've been in recovery twenty five years with the twelve steps and. I'm doing some somatic healing work with a woman in Saratoga and she's 
asked me to do some deep healing. I mean, I'm sorry, deep listening. And so in that process, I, I'm also an artist. I started to... Um, the, the emergence was... It was the first time where I... I uh, started drawing every part of my anatomy on a piece of paper. And the experience was a self came out because I lost myself in my alcoholic family growing up. And um, the emergence also is that um, I'm an artist and I'm... uh, I'm like, I went to this art place school yesterday, but anyway, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I got accepted in an MFA program at San Francisco Art Institute. And I feel the emergence of myself, not only on that piece of paper as that little girl, but so much as the, as the artist that I am inside of myself. And I love the the whatever you call it, the word emergence. I feel like I'm just coming into myself at almost 74 years of age. So I'm really liking all the tools that I'm using to to get here. Beautiful. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you all. Really love hearing back from you as well. And now we'll take a 10-minute break. Right? Yeah. 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 Y